0: Welcome to NodeUp 82. I'm here today to speak about 6to5. I have the author of 6to5 and one of its companion libraries here with me. I've got Sebastian McKenzie. Say hi, Sebastian. Hi. And Dennis, author of CoreJS. Say hi, Dennis. Hi, guys. Today's episode of NodeUp is sponsored by Codeship. Codeship is a free, hosted, continuous delivery service focused on simplicity and usability set up a continuous integration in a few easy steps, and automatically deploy when all of your tests have passed. Codeship has great support for lots of languages and test frameworks. It integrates with GitHub, Bitbucket, and lets you deploy to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Modulus, and Nojitsu. Codeship makes continuous delivery so simple, setup only takes a minute. You can sign up now to get 100 builds a month and five private projects for free. This should allow startups, freelancers, and small teams to easily get started with continuous delivery. For anyone that needs more builds and projects, you can use the discount code NODEUP to get 20% off any plan for three months when signing up for a paid subscription. Head on over to codeship.com forward slash to get started, and be sure to follow them on Twitter at Codeship. Okay, so basically 6to5 has, you know, it's the the new hotness in, you know, the transpiler scene. So I really wanted to, you know, get Sebastian, the the author of 6to5, and Dennis, you know, the, the one of the guys building a support library for 6to5, to talk about what 6to5 is and, you know, where it came from. Because it's just like popped up out of nowhere and, and you know, it's getting a, a lot of traction. So my first question is to you, Sebastian, you know, what is 6to5?
1: Yeah, so 6 to 5 is an ECMAScript 6, ECMAScript 5 transpiler. Basically what it does is it'll turn the next generation of JavaScript features in a code that you can actually run in your browsers or in Node or just basically any environment that executes JavaScript today, basically. And it's not just limited to ECMAScript 6. There's future extensions and proposals for ES7, which is also supported, so stuff like Async functions and abstract references, which you can get a rundown with on the 6to5 website.
0: Why would somebody pick 6to5 over one of the competing tools, like for example, Tracer?
1: Tracer requires a runtime dependency. It's about a 70 kilobyte, basically just blob of, it includes a polyfill and a runtime. So what that means is if you were to create like, even just something simple, like a simple script that includes a class, you would have to include the tracer runtime because it includes methods that the runtime includes that it'll need to, like, construct the class. 6to5 kind of takes a different approach. It will inline helper methods at the top of your files, similar to how CoffeeScript operates, and that just allows for the use of no polyfill or no runtime library to get basic ES6 functionality. What features does 6to5 offer out-of-the-box In the JavaScript world, there's a lot of fragmentation in kind of common patterns that you'll use. For example, classes, there's like half a dozen different ways to classes. Everybody has their own classes implementation, whether it's modifying the prototype directly or assigning methods inside a constructor. There's kind of a few ways to go about it. With ES6, it has features such as like classes where it basically offers just a common pattern that you can use that makes it far simpler to kind of construct these patterns and to use them in your code. And as well, it also has influences from languages such as CoffeeScript where stuff like fat arrows that are automatically bound to this, there and there as well, you could use those. It's kind of future-proofing your code a bit, so you don't have to worry about some non-standard kind of thing that may go away because JavaScript is here to stay.
0: Is is it safe to use 6 to 5 to you know, work in projects today. I mean, what's a good reason to not use 6to5, maybe? That's a better question.
1: One of the reasons I use 6 to 5 I guess, is if you don't really have, like, a build system in place, it's kind of difficult to use. Well, I guess that's for any kind of compiled-to JavaScript languages. There's stuff provided in 6to5 to make it more easier. So in CoffeeScript, you've got, like, live compiling, so you can use the coffee command to execute a script, and you can, like, use require and everything in there, and it's automatically... Like transpiled, so you don't have to worry about that step. 65 has something similar called 65 node, which operates in the same way as the node binary that you just used to run your code. So instead of calling node, you could just call 65 node, and your code will automatically be in transpiled. Source maps will be set up, so it'll map to the correct line and yeah, stuff like that. But if you don't have an, a build system already in place, it kind of increases the barrier to using it. That's that's really one of the only reasons why you shouldn't use it.
0: That all sounds you know pretty good. So, you know who's using ear six to
1: five at the moment? Um, so it's been adopted by quite a few companies, such as like startups and stuff like that. It's also going to be included by default in Rails and Sprockets in future versions. I believe it's Sprockets four will ship with six five enabled by default. So you just have to use the extension es six and it will be integrated into the Sprockets pipeline seamlessly as well as with the merger of a competing transpiler esnext that was the default in ember cli it basically paved the way for 65 also being the default in ember cli basically anybody using ember or and rails in the future can very easily or can already use 65
0: you mentioned there, there was like a, a merger with a, a competing framework or competing tool. What, what was that and what happened?
1: I got contacted by Stephen, Stephen Penner and Brian Donovan on the, of the ES Next project. Um, it had a very similar goals and philosophies to what I was trying to achieve with 6 to 5. And they basically reached out to us, asking if, hey, we're basically doing the same thing. There's a lot of duplicated effort and we just really want to get a community Focused around like a single transpiler, because it makes it difficult for like, consumers and users wondering, "Oh, I want to use e s six or I just want to transpile my code, which one do i use there's, there's just there 's quite a few out there, and so combining forces kind of gave us a it, it focused the energies of both of our communities a lot and kind of consolidated a lot of work that was being duplicated
0: yeah uh, more of that like there 's so much stuff in the node community uh, and the JS community, people duplicating work. So I think that you're setting a really good example there, you know, rather than battling it out to become, you know, the next coding superstar, you know, let's just all work together. I think it's a good good idea. Let's move on to CoreJS. I mean, so what is so what is CoreJS and what's its involvement in the 6to5 project? Maybe, Sebastian, you should just explain how CoreJS fits into
1: 6to5. With trying to replicate an ES6 environment. There's stuff such as like built-ins, such as like promises and weak maps and maps and stuff such as that that you basically need if you want that kind of like full environment. 6.5 has always included a built-in polyfill just so it's easy for users like, oh I want these features and it's just like, oh here it is, just require this and everything will work fantastically out of the box. Previously we were using ES6 shim as well as ES6 Symbol. Which they, they didn't work very well together, or they, they did in earlier versions, but in recent versions, the S6 shim basically removed support for having a symbol polyfill. We couldn't upgrade if we wanted symbols and iterators to be supported like fairly okay. comprehensively. And so yeah. CorejS provided uh, just a, a polyfill or a shim, or just a standard library that integrated with itself like perfectly. And it was very small, performant, and just basically all the things you want in a library. I'll
0: talk about CoreJS um, a little more in a second, but uh, I just want to make it clear to any listeners that 6to5 has like two main responsibilities. One is transpiling ES6 or and beyond syntax into ES5, and also the polyfill, which is there to add additional features to the built-in APIs. So for example, we're talking about things like array.prototype.includes or find or and string.starts with, all these new features which I'm a big fan of, these new API methods, they're all handled by the polyfill, while syntax, things like arrow functions, classes, etc., are handled by the transpiler. And so six six to five kind of brings them together to replicate as much of the ES6 environment as is possible. So CoreJS. Do you want to tell us a little bit about CoreJS?
2: CoreJS is universal standard library for all environment. I write it when I need universal standard library on JS on modern browsers and in old EA. CoreJS mm-hmm. is not only ES6 shim. It sells ES5 shim, ES7 shim, SETIME8 shim, and some additional functionality. Mm-hmm. Six to 5 use only es 6 and year 7 shims. Okay. You can use uh, Code.js without global pollution. For example, Core mod in Code.js use this feature.
0: So what was that again? The so core, core Alias. Is that right? Core, core Alias? Core Aliasin. Core okay. Aliasing. Uh, and so, so what does
2: that do? It's... Uh, Mode of uh, 625 without global pollution, self-contained uh, mod uh, six to five uh, transform call of array from getting iterators uh, to core JS methods.
0: Okay, so you write the source as if there was global pollution, and then the transformer will, you know, set it up. So it just calls them directly on the CoreJS JS object. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Is there other limitations to that? I mean, my understanding is that it can only transpile things which are like statically analyzable. So things like uh, for example, object.assign, which is a method on object. Is there any way it can handle, you know, things like array.prototype.startsWith string starts with?
1: What the core aliasing transformer does is, as you said, it'll transform stuff like object.assign or array.from into basically it'll require core.js at the top of your file and it'll replace all references to array.from to core.array.from. Now this, it basically allows you to use built-ins and ES6 static methods without basically polluting the global prototypes and stuff like that. It does have the added downside where you can't basically transform starts with on strings, for instance. This is mainly because w- you can't tell if something's a string or not. In the future, it might be possible to kind of determine what type a variable is and kind of transform that. I think
0: when we, we were discussing this in the 65 Gitter, I think you, you mentioned something like you know, perhaps through the use of flow types, you might be able to better detect these kinds of things. So uh, that that brings up another point. Uh, 6to5 includes a whole bunch of other features which aren't just ES6, ES7. What are those other features?
1: It comes with JSX and React support out of the box. So you can use your JSX tags and it'll be converted or transpiled or compiled or whatever into the equivalent method calls. So it can be interchangeably used with something like Reactify, you can use 6to5 today with React if you just replace Reactify with 6to5ify. That's quite a mouthful. It has support for JSX out of the box as well as flow types just to add kind of a comprehensive kind of ecosystem, I guess, and to provide for it. Because if you're using JSX then you most likely also want to potentially use flow types, it doesn't make sense to support JSX and then some other type system. So that kind of narrowed the focus a bit to focus on one ecosystem instead of yeah,
0: What does 6to5 provide in terms of support for these things that I couldn't just get from you know, using like another transpiler afterwards? I mean, so what, what, what actually does 6to5 supply here?
1: So 6to5 basically supplies the, both the JSX tag transforming as well as all the other ES6 feature transforming. JS transform and React tools, which you basically use today to transform JSX and React usually. It has kind of rudimentary support for transpiling ES6 features. It's not comprehensive by any means. It's, go- it's quite limited as well, whereas 6to5 kind of provides a lot out of the box. We're talking
0: about being able to put ES6 features inside your,
1: your JSX templates. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, that's, and that's something which you can't get without using the 6to5 JSX transformer.
1: Yeah, well you can okay. use, as I said, React, the current React compiler, but it yeah. doesn't support as much. It's it's very limited in what you can do okay. with it.
0: One other thing I just wanted to ask is like, I mean, so how much of ES6, ES7 is supported by
1: Six to Five? Six to five basically supports every single ES six syntax feature. There's a complete list on the, the six to five website. The only Transpiler that comes close in support is tracer mm. it also has very comprehensive support but basically all the other transpilers have very limited support where if you really want an ES6 compiler you kind of want to support everything or yeah, yeah.
0: what doesn't it support maybe is a, a better question
1: so stuff that you can't really like transpile stuff like object.observe and proxies and stuff like that like that's basically just out of the question in Transpiling mainly because that's something that has to be done by the host environment. Um, sure. You can't really emulate that any other way.
0: What about, this is I, something I'm interested in, is getting the tail call optimization. Is that something which is possible? I mean, I wouldn't have a clue on how, how to go about implementing that, but I've noticed that on the, you know, the Kangax you know, compatibility charts that not one transpiler supports this feature. It's the, the only feature in the whole Kangax feature list which has no support anywhere. Why is that?
1: It's quite complicated to kind of implement in a static analysis kind of way. There's kind of more lower-hanging fruit to focus attention on instead of implementing tail calls. It, it'll definitely be a focus in the future as support basically is more comprehensive across everything.
0: So it's, it's, it's not something which is like physically impossible it's just
1: tricky. Yeah, so it's not impossible by any means. It's just technically kind of tricky to deal with.
0: I guess um, perhaps if any any listeners potentially see this as a challenge. So, you know, it'd be nice to see, I don't know, 6to5 be the, the first transpiler to support this. I don't know, it would be cool. I guess that gives us a, a pretty good overview about what 6to5 is and what, what CoreJS is. One thing I'd, I'd like to add to that is, because uh, I've been using 6to5 in projects at NodeSource for the last probably well, we've been using ES6 for about 6 months and we've been using we were first using tracer Tracer for a little while but we switched to 6 to 5 mainly the the main motivator was the fact that the code that came out of it was a lot more readable as in it just looks pretty much as if i would i would have just written that code in ES5 and I have a feeling that, like I mean that that's not really an an incredibly important feature, but it makes things a lot nicer. like so when when you're transpiling stuff with Tracer, I find that you know it's just like it kind of it mangles your code a bit. Yeah, six to five definitely has a a bit of a a leading edge in, in that regard. And maybe this would be better suited for um you know, technical discussion later. But I'm wondering whether you know maybe Tracer started out because Tracer is a much older project i wonder if it started out having nice clean readable code but it ended up with you know less readable code as they decided to start implementing performance improvements because you know it, when, when you're transpiling stuff there's you know potential for you, know, you could actually make the code faster and you know if, if you're thinking about alright well i could make the code that i'm probably hardly ever going to read prettier or i can make it run faster probably going to optimize for you know faster code I mean, how important is readable code, and uh, is this something, a problem that you see happening to 6 to 5
1: in the future? Well, it already is an issue, and I think it will okay. forever be an issue. Kind of balancing having readable code as well as performing code is pretty tricky, but it's definitely possible. As, as we've experimented with adding in faster REST parameters, for instance, instead of using array.prototype.slice, it just uses a for loop that just loops over them and shoves it into an array. That's yep. one of the instances where it's kind of taken the, the kind of long form approach rather than having readable code. But it's definitely something that it's really tricky to balance, but it, it's definitely possible.
0: Let's move into our next sponsor section. So NodeUp is also sponsored by Lyft Security. So if you haven't heard of Lyft Security yet, here's what some folks have to say. Pierre Falade, C- CEO at Sunrise has said, at Sunrise. We've been extremely happy with our collaboration with Lyft. Their focus on JavaScript and Node.js is a big plus for us. The quality of the review is far superior to other vendors we've used in the past, and we will hire them again and highly recommend them. Peter Baumgartner, founder at Lincoln Loop, said, In addition to your security expertise, I was blown away by the uncommon amount of common sense you applied to the project. I was expecting to have several long discussions with you up front, about how our business and product work. You figured that all out yourselves and then focused your time on our most valuable assets and scariest scenarios. Thanks to this approach, your team is endlessly a turnkey security solution. If you're interested in hearing more about Lyft's security auditing service or want to bring a security-first mindset to your team's development process, contact the Lyft team at lyftsecurity.io or at lyftsecurity on Twitter. Also look for Team Lyft at Node Summit in San Francisco and at S Info in Portugal this coming February. What I wanted to talk about next is some more technical discussion about the internals of 6to5 and how it works and what are the components that go together to make 6to5 do its thing. I guess we already covered that there's a transpilation part and a polyfill part going maybe deeper into the transpiling stuff. Uh, How does transpilation happen in 6to5, and what are the key components?
1: So there's three key components. There's parsing your code, transforming it, and then generating it back out again. For parsing, basically it'll turn your code into a representation that can be traversed over and manipulated. It's referred to as an AST. And then the transformation process basically manipulates that tree it'll use static analysis to kind of make your code as simple as possible. So if you do something that we realize, oh, hey, you're doing this, we can kind of simplify it a bit, then that's, that's basically where it happens. It's where the actual transformation of your code from ES6 to ES5 actually happens, or ES7, ES5 in the case you're using ES7 features. And then the generation process is actually turning that tree back into code that you can execute. It will try to retain as much new lines as possible. So if you have two new lines between two different statements, then it will retain those through kind of comparing the new lines between the the two statements and then just inserting them into the generator code.
0: So it parses the code, transforms it, and then generates new code. I know that there's a lot of AST parsers out there. For example, there's a Spreamer-FB. There's Acorn. What what does 6to5 use?
1: 6 5 started off using Esprima, but very quickly realized that the S6 support in Esprima was very low and the development of Esprima is also very slow as well. So if I wanted this to support this stuff, I didn't really want to be waiting around on the parser to support it. Luckily, Facebook have a fork of Esprima called Esprima-FB. It also supports stuff like JSX and Flow types as in passing those out of the box. 6 5 initially used those until basically ran into limitations where there was stuff that Asprima just or Esprima-FB just didn't support and I got the suggestion to hey there's this other parser called Acorn that's much faster supports more and why don't you look at that so I asked some an investigation and doing benchmarks it, it was much faster it supported more it was much more easier to read, as in re- the actual parser code, which kind of allowed me to make modifications where necessary in order to support more experimental features. So if Acorn didn't support something that I wanted to support, then I could just implement it myself, basically. Whereas in Esprima, the kind of learning curve was more high to actually access the code.
0: So what you're saying is that you know we have our ES6 spec and then you know, the, the grammar for that is inside Acorn, which it uses to generate the AST. So you're at the mercy of Acorn to, or, or whatever parser you use, AST generator that you're using to support and keep up to date with the latest version of the spec. So you're saying that with Acorn that you're able to add additional features and like change it if you need to. Have you done that? I mean, is that something that you've, you've needed
1: to do? Yeah, it is. So, Acorn doesn't actually support JSX out of the box. There's another project called Acorn-JSX, which mm-hmm. the 6.5 parser actually uses. Now, 6.5 actually uses a fork of a fork of, yeah, uses a fork of a fork, huh. which it kind of gets complicated, like, pulling upstream, but it's been very nice so far because they're very supportive of, like, yeah.
0: Um, Do you know anything about, like, the, the Acorn? I mean, where's Acorn come from? Who, who's behind Acorn?
1: I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. a Haverbeck. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Apologies if that's completely wrong. He's very experienced with kind of passes. He's the author of CodeMirror, as well as a whole bunch of other JavaScript libraries. He's written books, yeah. so it's something you can trust, I guess. Cool.
0: You've got your AST. You generate your code. Is there anything else that people should know about? I mean, if if we were, if I was going to look at the six to five codebase. What section should I look at? What are the most important parts?
1: Yeah, so they're basically the only real three core components. They're very kind of aggregated or separated in the actual codebase. So there's a generation folder which contains all the stuff that handles generation. There's a transformation folder that handles all the transformation stuff. And basically the only other thing is like kind of helpers that assist in the transformation, which, yeah.
0: In that transformation folder, I noticed that no, well, the transformers. It's a big list of things like you know arrow functions and you know classes and things like that. So that means that with Six to Five, you you could theoretically just enable certain features that you want if you wanted to do that. It's modular, I guess,
1: in that way. Yeah, yeah. So you can basically disable or selectively enable anything. So if if the browser you're targeting suddenly supports classes or arrow functions, you can just disable those transformers. And it'll just output your code as is, and it'll only make modifications to features that the environment that you're targeting hasn't.
0: Nice. Ha- I wonder so if we possible. could. I wonder if we could get something a bit like, oh, what's it called? Prefix auto prefixer. Auto prefixer for is is for CSS. And what it does is the API. You say something like, I want to support the latest version of every browser, and it knows how to generate the prefixes. It it knows what what features the different browsers support and it will generate only the prefixes that those browsers need. So if you need the the latest version of everything plus IE8, you can tell it to do that. I wonder if we could get something similar for 6 to 5 so that if I know that I'm only deploying to Chrome, for example, and I know that Chrome supports classes, for example. Well, I don't know that Chrome supports classes perhaps something in the 6to5 system could be like, yo, we know that Chrome supports Classes, so we're not going to generate that code. Because I guess that's one thing that I, I worry about a little bit is that the browser implementation, you know, being a little bit different to the implementation in 6to5. Did that sound sensible?
1: <laughs> yeah, so basically you're worried about variations between the the way that the code that 6to5 executes works and the actual how it will actually execute in... An ES6 yeah. browser? Yeah. yeah. so 6 or 5 is, it's as spec compliant as possible. So it follows the spec as much as possible. So to kind of avoid those kind of regressions when you decide to eventually make the jump or disable certain features. And I don't really think you run into too many issues because most of the features are, are fairly straightforward in kind of some of the edge cases and 6 5 kind of will go out of its way to kind of add spec compliance. Basically, sacrificing performance for the spe- sake of spec compliance, basically. Right. Which and,
0: and there's, I think, I've noticed there's a recent feature which allows you to actually disable that. Is that like loose mode?
1: Yep. Yeah. So loose mode basically removes kind of some of these edge cases, which base it, it makes the code that it generates execute faster. So if you're kind of aware of the potential issues associated with some of this stuff, like like there's, for instance. In template literals, when you're using tag template literals, the object is frozen that it kind of generates. You don't really need to know much about how tags template literals work other than basically six five has the option to kind of remove that frozen functionality and will like heavily increase the execution of that code like tenfold. Because usually okay. the object being frozen isn't that big of a deal. But okay. in some cases where... Yeah, so most of the time it doesn't matter, and you kind of have the prerogative if you don't want that.
0: I guess that's the thing. Like you know, the the assumption is that when browsers and uh, and, well, when JavaScript engines support ES six features, that it'll be faster than you know the transpiled code, and you know perhaps as kind of like a way to sort of mitigate the fact that we're kind of living in uh, you know fantasy land, pretend ES six. You can say, "All right, well, I'm gonna go with a go halfway. It's not quite ES6, but I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to sacrifice not quite ES6 for um, for a bit of additional performance until we get like everything native back onto um, supporting different features across different browsers and like native support." Dennis, with the with core how does CoreJS handle? Having native support for, for example, promises in in the browser or in V8.
2: Could JS
0: use native
2: promises if we support current spec? Else, we use uh, polyfill. Problem in all the features. For example, symbols. We can create a new data type in JavaScript, but we can return object with uh, similar behavior. We can't realize real uh, weak uh, references for weak set and weak maps but we mm-hmm. can store values on case it's not really weak but it's not leak for most cases for example for private properties.
0: And what you're saying about the promise and I, I noticed this in when I was looking through the you know, core.js source when you said that it will use native promises if they're spec compliant, so CoreJS actually performs a couple of checks to make sure, because there, there are, I think, Chrome's, maybe it's not correct today, but at least at some point in the past, the version of promises in Chrome weren't, well, they weren't spec compliant, so you actually check for that and replace them selectively only if they pass certain tests. Are there other features which are like that, like that you've found in different engines There, you know, it supports, for example. Symbols or maps, but they're not not spec compliant. How often does that happen
2: before replace a check it? I don't know what's the problem Simple this before replace.
0: I think that gives us a pretty good overview of technical decisions in six to five So yeah, let's move on to the next sponsor section and yet
1: One of our oldest sponsors and yet is celebrating seven years in business this month. They're super old and yet has been helping enterprise companies ship node to production since 2010. That's like 85,000 years ago in internet dog years. But these folks aren't paleolithic programmers. They're also among the earliest adopters of the happy node framework, with members on the team who are happy core contributors. Aaron Hammer endorsed. Aaron Hammer approved. Okay, the next... Oh, shit. <laughs> this can be this can be edited, right? Sorry. Yeah, it can be edited. Anyway, and yet oh shit. How just 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 do it. Just anyway, do it in- and it. yet has a very special message for y'all. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: okay. That's what they Is want. It? They want that. Oh, that, that. Okay.
1: Right. That's what they, they want. They paid for that. No <laughs> <laughs> Node doesn't have the same problems as the dev platforms you might be used to. It's entirely new problems. There are just so many opinions on the best approach. Ask a dozen Node devs the right way to do something and you'll get 15 answers. There's no size fits all solution with Node because the problems we aim to solve are subtle and varied. We want flexibility. And yet believes rather than subscribing to an opinionated set of best practices, teams need to find some good Node practices and understand where and how to apply them. The gap in your understanding then is in where and how to apply the very good practices. This is an area where and yet loves to help. And yet provides donor JavaScript consulting, specializing in the three A's, authentication, APIs, and architecture. And to add another aid to the list, they also created Ampersand.js for a modular node-style approach to front-end JavaScript. Reach out at anjet.com and be sure to follow them on Twitter at Anjet.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Anjet. I just wanted to you know, find out a little bit more about Who's behind 6to5 and CoreJS and, you know, who you are and, you know, what's your motivation? By me using 6to5, am I somehow going to be, am I selling my soul? Is this some sort of conspiracy trying to get me to start using JSX and flow types? Basically, you know, Sebastian, I mean, you know, where, why are you doing what you're doing. Who do you work for? What's your, I mean, you've, you've, there's been like pretty much 24-7 commits going into that project. I have a, another question is when do you sleep? So yeah, I mean, what's,
1: what's, what's the go? I basically started six to 5 when I was finishing school. It was kind of what kept me So hang on, how old are you? I'm 17.
0: Oh my God. Okay, <laughs> keep going, keep going. What have oh. I been doing with my life? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I made it when I was finishing high school. Yeah, that's basically my main motivation was just me learning about these kinds of things because I had a really big gap in my knowledge. And now the my motivation for continuing it is like I enjoy working on it. I like that other people use it. I like that I can kind of build up a community around this thing that I've created. And that's kind of enough motivation for me, I guess.
0: So when you're saying like you've got a gap in your knowledge, I mean, is there like the compilers subjects at high school weren't adequate enough or how did you get into this stuff?
1: As in programming in general?
0: Oh, no, just like in if I look at something like any kind of transpiling task, I'm just like, mm, no, that that seems like it's not too hard, but it's sort of something that is going to require like sig- significant effort to get kind of like a base level of knowledge about it. Yeah, I, I guess, how did you get into... Transpilation, maybe, um, or even programming in general. If they're the same thing, yeah.
1: Well, I got into I basically made six five just because I was bored and just wanted something to work on. I'd heard about this thing called Es6. I didn't know what it was, so I just kind of played around with. Oh, what if I could use it now? And then there was Es6 passes and I just kind of like hacked something together. It was yeah. Was um,
0: it for like a school project? It wasn't. It was for no anything. It was just like you, know, you were on a holiday or
1: something. Yeah, well, it was just, I was just sitting in class and bored and wanted to do something, yeah, productive. <laughs> okay, awesome.
0: Is this something which is sustainable, I guess, is, is the question. Are you just, you know, not doing anything else at the moment? Because I, I know a lot of people, I mean, you know, my, myself, for example, I, I would love to be working on open source stuff 24-7. I'm not always able to because, you know, and I think that's the same with other people, you, you, you've got bills to pay and you need to, you know, work on, Non open source projects. I, I guess I'm wondering: it, Are you going to get like acquired by some company, and then they're going to be like, "Well, Six to Five was nice, but we're shutting it down."
1: Mm, no, not really. So, yeah, Six to Five is always going to be something. If I'm not working on it, then I, there's other contributors to the project that I hope would step up to the plate if something were to happen. And I'm hoping that in the future, like more contributors step up, say, "Hey, I want to work on this," because right now it's just basically just me doing the basically the core maintenance accepting pull requests for like optimizations which I'm incredibly grateful for I'm basically incredibly grateful for any kind of contributions even just bug reports and yeah
0: I guess having it's going in as like the default in Rails and it's going in as the default in Ember and this merger with ES Next probably you know makes it a you know a a safe bet maybe for for long term because now there's actual money you know depending on this thing continuing to exist. And, yes, the the ES Next merger means that there's also, like, you know, very talented people who said that they're going to contribute to to the project. I mean, what's the status, going back to that? Like, the ES Next merger, what what's going to happen there? Like, I mean, it, does ES Next just disappear
1: or...? It's kind of weird how it happens. So, basically, 6.5 just existed and it was more like, ES Next closing up shop and pointing people in the direction of Six to Five, as well as the ESNext team jumping on and endorsing and putting their okay. collaborative energy behind Six to Five.
0: Dennis, so I mean, wh- where where have you come from? What's your what's your story? Where what what's your what's your background? Nothing interesting. I'm full stack
2: JavaScript developer. Currently fr- freelance, but looking for an interesting full-time job. Else. I finished university studies, so at this moment I should be on lecture.
0: <laughs> is CoreJS something, can we see this sticking around for a while? Is, is, it, is it like a hobby project? I mean, it's a bit of a loaded question. and Nobody wants to say, no, well, I've had enough working on it, anybody wants to take it over, nobody's going to say that. Tell us about, like, what are your plans for CoreJS, maybe?
2: I begin right with project for some, one My my last project. Any plans about CoreJS? Most part of ECMAScript 6 and current proposal ECMAScript 7 realized in Code.js currently only refactoring and uh, addition experimental fun- functionality, for example, iterator module. TC39 meeting November. Yes, Mm -hmm. November TC-59 meeting discussed about addition methods to iterate a prototype. It could be really interesting features, lazy chaining for iterators. How old is CoreJS? I began writing two years ago, but published only two months ago.
0: Okay. How often does the... Does the spec change, like the ESX spec, change, which requires changes to CoreJS?
2: Currently ECMAScript 6 spec is frozen, but November Discus replace string prototype contains and array prototype contains to string prototype includes and array prototype includes and mm-hmm. remove clear methods from weak collections. It's uh, not really big change for specification. At first time in Core JS will be available methods with new and old
0: names. Are you going to continue to maintain it? You know, because I, I can't imagine that the ECMAScript specification isn't done I and mean, there's going to be new new features coming in. Are you going to keep maintaining Core JS into ES7, ES8, or just play it by ear? I guess.
2: Yes, uh, after re- release SecMascript 6, I release Code.js 1. <laughs> About the next version of SecMascript, yes, I maintain Code.js
0: after. This is a question for both of you. Let's start with you, Dennis. What's been your experience in managing like an open source project? I, I guess Code.js hasn't got as much activity as six to five at the moment, but have you found like the, you know, dealing with the community, pull request issues, managing issues, has has that been an easy process? Have you found that?
2: I have no very big experience in the open
0: source project, but currently it's not not a problem. What about you, Sebastian? As far as I'm aware, like, you know, pretty much like your first project, the Learn First Open Source project.
1: How have you found dealing with contributions and issues and all that? It's definitely been an incredibly massive challenge. At times, it's very stressful, and other times, it's really kind of exciting to see kind of the energy around something that you've created. Do you get many,
0: like, conflicts? Like, so, you know, for example, there was some guy uh, or girl trying to push some feature. It might have been some sort of Angular feature into 6 to 5, and... I commented saying, "I don't think this belongs here." So, do you, do you see much like con- conflict in terms of like you know things that you want versus things that the community wants? And do you have to make like hard decisions sometimes?
1: Not really hard decisions. Most of the time, before ever, I ever, I won't really force anything on people. So, if someone's against a certain change that have made, I'll basically almost always add an option to disable it, oh. which is kind of the beauty of Sixty Five in a way that. It's just so customizable and the transformers and the different options and stuff like that. But I haven't really had much butting heads with people. It's, I think having a really comprehensive philosophy from day one definitely helped because it was more easier to kind of say, oh, this is this is the way things should be done or this is something that should be included.
0: I guess the fact that opinions don't ma- matter so much in the face of a spec you know, in a lot of cases. So you can just be like, well, you can refer to the spec if it doesn't work as the spec says. Well, you know, sorry, you're wrong. And I guess I should direct that um, same question that I directed at Dennis. What's the plan for like continuing to support 6to5? I guess, and then this brings us to the other question of like the name as well. How does 6to5 continue to exist when, you know,
1: ES6 is popular everywhere? And, and I guess...
0: Well, answer that
1: question first. I guess the name 6 5 is kind of, I kind of regret picking it now. I wasn't really expecting anyone to use it, so I didn't really put much thought into the name. It's definitely going to be changed to reflect the current status of the project. It's more of just a, just a general transpiler, if anything, that just has really, really good ES6 support. Because the name 6 5 and also supporting stuff like React and Flow kind of gives off these kind of feature-creepy vibes where everything is yeah. trying to go into this project, where I've, I've currently opened up a discussion on this is where I want to take the project into more of a general JavaScript transformation tool that supports future standards really comprehensively and just makes it easier for people to customize and plug their own potential transformers in if they want to do like optimizations and stuff like that.
0: So you're talking about like allowing... I guess, yeah, third-party Transformer ecosystem.
1: The Transformer API that is basically already in 6.5, it's very comprehensive and it allows a lot to be done with transforming JavaScript very easily. And there's also a lot of kind of ways that people could potentially use it, such as, as I said before, optimizing your code, profiling it. Yeah, so kind of closure compiler type stuff, and as well as it could potentially pave the way for even a, a JavaScript minifier based on a set of transformers that can be enabled.
0: What else is on the, the roadmap for you know, future 6to5 future stuff? You know, a name change, third-party ecosystem,
1: third-party transformer ecosystem. What, what, what else is planned? That's currently all that's planned at the okay. present stage, as well as kind of expanding our support of ES7 features as they become more mature, as well as making existing features much more spec-compliant or faster, or just mm-hmm. more readable and stuff like that.
0: Nothing I noticed was there's a few proposals, or at least one proposal for ES7, which is authored by you or proposed by you. Is that correct? Did I read that? Um, Did I read that
1: wrong? No. As in what? are you to specifically?
0: So six to five has the the playground. Yeah, those are like kind of like custom features which you've just implemented. You know, they're not not—they're not based on any spec. It's just kind of like just stuff you've pulled out of a hat. Yeah. But I've, I have a feeling that somebody called Sebastian McKenzie has suggested additional features go into like the ES7 or ES8 spec. And that's not you?
1: No, I think you might be referring to Sebastian Mark Beige. I'm pronouncing uh, it first. But he's, yeah, he's, be, a, it, face- yeah, he's uh, a Facebook engineer who's proposed... Object rest and spread for ES7, as well as a few other things, I believe.
0: That could be it because the Seb, because you (laughs) you you go by Seb MCK on as your handle, and then Seb Mark or whatever you said. It's kind of like the same set of letters. So I guess the confusion isn't (laughs) totally, totally stupid. So I I apologise. I I redact, redact all those statements. Last thing I wanted to touch is best practices for authoring things with 6 to 5. What are things like do's, don'ts? So should people be using experimental features? Should people be turning on loose types? Should people be using yeah, so what should people be doing in order to successfully build stuff using 6 to 5?
1: So probably one of the biggest don'ts which you touched on briefly earlier is using the polyfill for libraries. You definitely don't want to be polluting the global scope when you're making a library because this is, as you said before, just rude and it, it can introduce like heaps of conflicts if another library is using a polyfill and or if that polyfill isn't spec compliant or just stuff like that in general you don't really want to be touching, that sort of stuff. The do's are more, is if you decide to use experimental features, which experimental features are basically support for ES7, they're features that haven't been ratified or they haven't been, they're not as mature and they haven't been, basically the spec isn't comprehensive. No, I don't know. Incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, it, it's, it's, the, it's the specs not clear. Okay. Yeah, well, they they're not. It's not that they're not clear. It's just that they're not mature, and they can change at okay. any stage. So okay. it, it's kind of like if with the default set of transformers, they don't. They won't really change. So it's kind of safe to have them enabled by default. But if you enable experimental features, you kind of take saying, "Oh, hey, this these might potentially break my code in the future."
0: And I guess, you know, even then you're not totally guaranteed because I just started deploying code with array prototype contains and then a week later it's like there's no such thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? And (laughs) even the the documentation I was looking at, the MDN documentation still contained uh, array prototype contains and I ended up having to dig through like TC39 meeting notes to figure out, oh, this thing's now called array prototype includes, not contains. And that's, you know, obviously not a feature which you can really hide behind a flag. So if you are going to use six to five, there are potential things might change from underneath you. It's not going to be as rock solid as, you know, obviously using native features. And not only that, I noticed like, you know, there's, as things change, there are regressions occasionally, you know, regrettably. Yeah. And things don't quite work all the time. I mean, not only that, like. Again, like classes aren't behind a flag, and but yet the the class spec is changing with regard to how it deals with super in the constructor and also super in class methods. And you can see that discussion if you read the TC thirty nine meeting notes. That's again, you know, like classes were, as far as I was aware, are uh, you know they were done, but apparently not. So I guess, I guess,
1: yeah. So the more mature. The ES6 spec is the more mature subsequently 6 or 5 is so I think it's somewhere around May that it, the ES6 spec is set to be finalized and so based yeah, then we'll on see. afterwards we'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll see <laughs> and from then on there won't really be any backwards regressions I guess yeah. since everything's been clearly outlined and we have a base to work on that isn't changing even slightly every so often
0: moving on A question I want want to direct to you both is, what's your favorite ES6 feature? I'm going to start with you, Dennis. ES6 feature? I I left Proxy, but
2: now it's not available.
0: Uh, Okay, okay. What about you,
2: Sebastian?
1: I have a favorite ES6 and a favorite ES7 feature. My ES6 feature would be arrow functions. Kind of like simplifies your code a lot. Um, Yeah. Yeah, instead of assigning self to this or... Finding a function, just or typing makes, the
0: word function over
1: and over um, again. Uh, heavens forbid! Or yeah. uh, even just like if you were just to do like a simple map, just wanting yep. to like multiply yep. a number by another number, you can just simplify yep. it like so much.
0: Arrow functions just—I was going to say the same thing. Arrow, uh, you've, you've blown it for me now. I'm going to have to think of another
1: favorite feature. <laughs> and then my ES7 feature would have to be async functions which I'm not going to detail here because they're kind of difficult to explain, but they're super cool, and I'd encourage people to check them out. Nice.
0: Yeah, I have zero experience with that. I've been you know, trying to restrict my usage to you know, ES6 features. So uh, I guess outside of arrow functions, so thanks, Sebastian. Um, <laughs> Some ones which I find myself using a lot, like object assign. That thing's like really handy for, you know, so object assign is kind of like a, a you do a mix-in, although note that the parameters kind of go the wrong way. So if you're trying to handle defaults or ex- yeah, ext- any kind of like object extension, object assign's like real neat. It's just like you just don't have that feature in JavaScript. The thing I think I enjoy the most is probably um uh, rest and spread operators, uh, being able to you know, finally you can have some sort of sensible handling for you know, variable arguments and also you know, if you've got an array of things which you want to use as the arguments to a function you no longer have to use apply or call, you can just use the spread operator to I think it really helps some, you don't have to use arguments. And another interesting feature of arrow functions is that there is no arguments object it doesn't exist, and that's not something which I think a lot of code is going to break when people actually move to a real ES6 implementation, as opposed to the six to five or any kind of transpile because you can't get rid of arguments objects. I guess in well, I guess you could throw an error if people try to use the arguments object inside an arrow function, uh, in, in when you're transpiling, but yeah, just noting that within an arrow function, arguments doesn't exist. As far, as far as last time I read the spec, it might have changed. All you have now is the is rest parameters. The best thing about that is that it comes out as an array, so you can you don't have to do stupid like you know array.slice, you know, array prototype slice.call to convert arguments into an array. It's just, um, oh, an array from as well. If you do happen to end up with an arguments object or something which looks like an array, you can use array from and it just converts it. Oh, so good. Time to plug something. So, guys, Sebastian,
1: what would you like to plug? So I can plug anything. Anything. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, It doesn't even have to be technical.
1: All right. I'll plug the album Working for a Nuclear Free City by Businessman Ghosts. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) What kind of music is it? It's called Shoegaze, which is, I'll probably get yelled at if I got the genre wrong. But yeah,
0: don't. don't. What? What does that mean? I don't even know. Okay, I will look into this. Mm -hmm. Is is it like cool? Is it like, what what is it like? Is it rock music or? Oh,
1: similarly, it's like instrumental, kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It, It's shoegaze. That's that's description enough, I think. Okay, awesome.
0: (laughs) All right, so Sebastian McKenzie plugging shoegaze. Dennis, what would you like to plug? Yes, I love rock music, I love shooting
2: mm-hmm. and I love JavaScript.
0: Very good, okay. So, Dennis plugging rock music, shooting and JavaScript. Excellent, uh, okay. What I wanted to do was plug some of my packages because I don't have any that are nearly as popular as Sebastian, so I'm going to use this platform briefly to just promote you know uh, one or two. I've been building a bunch of tools for helping you manage NPM dependencies and just like get a little bit more information into what's happening in your node modules folders so I have a package called package count so package count pkg count if you run this from the root of your project it goes through all of the node modules and figures out how many duplicates that you have of all of them and so uh, I was very, very surprised when I saw how much duplication there actually was in my node modules folder. One project I'm working on at the moment has there's a copy of this little library which is duplicated over a hundred times. And that's not the only one. There's multiple. It was like it was like I think I think it was like over 150 times. It also has the ability you can pass in a flag. I think dash dash du, and it'll calculate how much space is actually being taken up. So you'll no, notice sometimes your projects just take up an, an inordinate amount of space um, for no apparent reason. And you, you'll often find that the, it's because you've got 22 copies of a, a spremer installed, and they'll be the exact same version or slightly different versions. And so using package count really helps to find just wasted space and uh, high levels of duplication. One other one is one called package files. I often found myself accidentally publishing packages with files in there which they shouldn't be in there, like private data and things like that. Um, There's a little bit of logic which NPM uses in order to determine which files go into your published tarball. It's a little bit opaque, I guess, and can change. So uh, a good example of where you can screw this up is if you don't have an npm ignore file, npm uses the git ignore file to try to figure out which things shouldn't go into the, the package table, but if you introduce an npm ignore file it no longer uses that and so some things which were previously being ignored are no longer being ignored I, I think that's the case anyway package files will list out everything which is about to be put into your package and also lists the size of them so i'll often run this just before i publish to make sure that i haven't accidentally included like 20 megabytes of test data third one sorry so that was package files pkg files and the last one is package grep, which is p-k-g-r-e-p package grep, and it just allows you to kind of like grep through your node modules. If you want to find all of the packages which depend on 6 to 5, you can just type in package grep filter dependencies dot six to five, and it'll pull them all out, give you a list of them. And you can also, it's got some options for like controlling the the, the output format. So my, my plug has been incredibly long, but I don't have a blog at the moment, so this is the only way that I can promote my packages. But anyway, moving on, upcoming events. JS Remote Conf is happening February three to five, and February 10 to 12, it's a remote conference. So I assume that means that you, don't, you, know, you can attend it remotely. jsremoteconf.com if you want more information. February 10 to 11 is Node Summit, it's in San Francisco. NodeSummit.com, FordJS is on February 4th, San Francisco. um, Again, FordJS.com, EmpireJS is April 26th and 27th, and it's in New York City. You can go to 2015.EmpireJS.org. There's CampJS, it's happening May 22nd to the 25th. It's in Melbourne, you can go to CampJS.com, that's my conference. NodeConf in june from the 8th to the 9th it's happening at fox theater oakland and you can go to nodeconf.com i believe that tickets are available or they were available at least at some point recently so those are the things which are happening around the world in javascript land that's the end of the show. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks, Sebastian. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks to all of the sponsors. Please follow NodeUp on Twitter um, for announcements about new shows. If you're interested in sponsoring NodeUp, you can email nodeup@gmail.com at gmail.com for more information. That's it. Thanks for listening.